Hello, Inclusive Podcast listeners. This is your host, as always, Rowdy from the Inclusive Activism Podcast. And today we're going to do something a little bit different than we normally do in a little bit of a different way than we normally do. So I'm excited to kind of bring this idea to you. It is comes from a keynote that I am delivering to Mortensen. So by the time this posts, that keynote will have been given. And I'm also posting it for the folks at Mortensen, so they have the ability to access this stuff. But I want to talk a little bit about the difference and how that makes a difference. So first off, let me tell you a story about how I came to speak at Mortensen. And it's a bit of a different story. So there's a person that works at Mortensen and her son attends Paradise Valley Community College. He was taking a multicultural class and was coming home and talking to his parent a little bit about what he was learning, how he was coming to new insights, and the parent was intrigued. The parent was at Mortensen. The parent really liked what was being talked about there and was finding some insight there too. And they were looking at an upcoming constituency group as Mortensen's Building Inclusion and Diversity Group. And so they were in need of someone to talk. So the first thought was from this person from Mortensen was let's get this teacher because it's doing such great stuff for my son. But as they talked and got a sense of what all was going to be entailed with this keynote speech, the teacher was feeling a little bit uncomfortable because they'd never really done public speaking in this type of setting before. So the professor looked around and was like, well, I don't know if I'm quite ready for a situation like this. I'm comfortable in front of my classroom, but I don't know if I'm comfortable in front of a group of uh, 140 different people. So she went around and talked to different folks that work at my school, talked to the division chair of counseling, talked to another counselor that teaches some different classes, and both of them recommended me. So you see here, I wasn't even the first choice. I was a recommended second choice, and the only really reason I even came to be here to speak at this keynote was the fact that I have relationships that are different than your average relationships. I'm in a different space with different people, and I have the opportunity of being a little bit of a different person in that space for different folks. So one of the things I'm going to have you do is kind of take the ride here as far as what happened in that speech. So one of the first things I'm starting with is the fact that we are going to be working with ideas like lateral thinking puzzles. So I'm going to read a lateral thinking puzzle to you all. And what I'm going to ask you to do is hit pause on it for a second and think of as many different answers that are feasible for how you could get this done as possible. Then at the end of this podcast, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back to this thought, to this idea, and tell you the most creative answer I've ever heard. So here's your puzzle. You are in a room. There are two strings dangling from the ceiling on opposite sides of the room. You need to tie the strings together, but there isn't enough string to walk over holding one and to still grab the other. However, you do know the two strings will meet in the middle. Your tools are a ladder, a pair of pliers, and a box of matches. How will you tie them together? 
So go ahead and take a second, pause, and think about this. Welcome back. I hope you're thinking bore some fruit. Remember, the goal is not the right answer. It's as many different answers that are feasibly possible that you can think of. This puzzle claims to be the best of the genre. It is simple in its statement, yet absolutely baffling, and yet with a completely satisfying solution. Most people struggle very hard to solve this one, yet they like the answer when they hear it or have the satisfaction of figuring it out. After, again, after the question and answer session, I'm gonna tell you the most creative answer I've ever heard to a question like this. The reason I have you go through this process is because I want you to start thinking about thinking differently and appreciating those that think differently from you. The goal, again, of working on this is to build a thing that's called divergent thinking. Divergent thinking is a thought process or method that's used to generate creative ideas by exploring different possible solutions. How many creative answers could be possibly right? Or what is the most creative answer versus the right one that would be considered the right answer in this situation? I had a great example of the best creative answer uh, when asking a question from someone who would be classified as neurodiverse. So they're either on the autism spectrum or they have Asperger's. So I was showing this picture of a map and the map is shown with south being at the top and north being at the bottom. And I asked the question, what is the top of the world? And the student told me with amazing confidence and amazing clarity that the top of the world was the crust. And I was like, gosh, I had never considered the top of the world being the crust, right? But this person saw things differently. They see the globe, they saw the map and they thought of the globe and they thought of the 3D representation of that globe. And that was really fantastic. And it was something I would have missed. And I'm really glad I had the opportunity to experience and understand that answer because it helps me to think about how to answer questions differently. It's, it's that difference. The next idea is we're gonna pivot to the eye of thinking about different cultural practices and how they can help us create new, different, or even better thinking. So we're gonna try to look at first the patterns that create situations where we fall into patterns of thinking, where we fall into unintended patterns of thought. Some example of these patterns that happen over and over again is, for example, they're looking at hiring folks in a different way. A lot, a lot of different HR folks are looking at hiring things in what's called a blind hiring method. See what happens is we look for subtle in-group and out-group things that happen, that when we're looking at people, we're looking for folks that we feel like are gonna connect with us. We look at people that we feel like we'll have connections to. Rather than looking at the person that's gonna do the job the best, we look at who we would feel most comfortable with. And so you don't end up with the best candidate, you end up with the best candidate for the culture of the office, but not necessarily the best fit for the company in general. So the pattern here is that we favor those identities with which we are most familiar. We are hardwired to favor folks who we can identify with as part of our in-group. Now the problem is those folks think just like we do most likely, and we cannot truly innovate with people that we agree with. Another example are answers like, why do we do it this way? Well, because we've always done it this way. Anybody heard that one before? Yeah, frustrating, isn't it? 
See, the pattern here is the current way, is the only way, and it's change resistant. It fails to recognize things can get better, or it fails to embrace the idea that change occurs. And being able to move and change with the times or with the pressures of the new world is something that's critically important to being our best. We need to embrace the idea of continuous improvement as our goal. We always want to be in the process of getting a little bit better and a little bit better. Leadership, you see, it's a process and it's not a position. And changing that thinking and changing that pattern is something that we really need to deeply look into. We also tend to fall into the pattern of managing to the rare exception versus the common rule. So you're going to see this here, uh, especially in legal departments, right? Just because there's a chance that something bad can happen, legal will take the chance of anything like that ever happening completely off the table and will make it so we can't even look in a specific direction or even try or think about a specific thing. See, the pattern here is we waste a lot of time thinking on the rare exception of what could be rather than what most likely is or what most likely could be. Falling into that pattern makes no too easy and what potential yes too hard to get to because those potential yeses are undercut by ideas of, well, this bad thing could happen or, well, this bad thing is a barrier, right? Like we don't think around these problems. We just look at that initial no and then attempt to move on past it. Another pattern we need to look at is this very sad us versus them mentality, which can exist on all job sites. If we're willing to be real, there can be distrust between those who do and those who don't get their hands dirty. And there can be a perception that there's a feeling of micromanagement versus empowerment in the way that we choose to lead. We all work better under empowerment versus an idea of rigid control. The pattern here is believing in your team is not believing in your team and thinking that you can do someone else's job, that you can fill someone else's role better than you can fill your own. That's a pattern that we fall into. That's a barrier to being our best selves in our own best spaces. Another thing that we have to look at is the subtle messages in which women hear on a day-to-day -day basis about who leads and who is always led versus being welcomed and appreciated into what had been primarily male spaces. Men too have benefited from women in the workplace with the addition to more towards more holistic and more system type thinking. Just because a job can be turned around quickly and efficiently and under budget means nothing. If you're burning through your crew and you churn through people faster than what had been expected with traditional capital items. If you're moving through people so fast and you don't keep a good sense of stability, you're missing that opportunity of synergy and you're looking at production versus the ability to continuously produce on a day-to-day -day basis. You're overvaluing the short term at the cost of the long term. See, the pattern here is that some spaces are thought to be better suited for one gender over another. Whereas the truth is that we have found over time all spaces 
have the capacity to be improved greatly with and through different points of view. Another example, somewhat in a similar vein, is women are still interrupted more than men. In fact, I still struggle with this. We are born with two ears and need to learn to shut our mouth and just listen sometimes. And the funny thing is this problem of men interrupting women, it's gotten so bad that there's now an app for that. So the app is called Gender Timer. And what it does is it promotes gender awareness in social groups and workplaces. Gender Timer shows you clearly who is talking the most and helps you see and then have the ability to discuss these patterns. Seeing that reality helps people change, then helps people improve. But I will come back to this and I will talk about how these patterns have harmed me in my relationships. And I am a supposed and alleged expert on issues related to diversity and inclusion, but I still myself find I make these mistakes over and over again. The pattern here is when certain people's voices are valued over others, people's voices get subordinated and then they learn to stop trying or even worse, they decide they don't belong and then they're not around for very long. You see on the slide it says, if you don't belong, don't belong. Another pattern we have to look at is people avoiding conflict because no one ever told them things really do not fundamentally improve unless there is disagreement. When we agree, we can't think of something better. When we disagree, there's the opportunity to really innovate, to think of something amazing, to think of something that meets all of our needs all at the same time. Cooperative conflict is the very spark of new innovation. The pattern here is we don't know how to do conflict well, and we don't know how to do conflict with one another and we need to find a way around that pattern. Another way we fall into this issue is in management thinking, which is only top-down versus the idea of leadership thinking, where all stakeholders have the ability to make the project better. See, the pattern here is folks with a high salary or greater management responsibility think they have a greater capacity for leadership and doesn't value the voices from a subordinated position. This type of thinking stifles creative synergistic leadership that can happen at any level. And you see the example of that here on the slide where we're talking about the pawn and there's a shadow of a pawn and a king. And so uh, you never know what's in someone regardless of their role until you pull that leadership out of them. And that's what we need to do to get better. And the last idea of the pattern I wanna kind of show you is to think about who gets heard in meetings. So who gets heard in meetings and what do we tell people that don't get heard in meetings? We tell them to speak up, right? Speak up. We just need you to speak up a bit. Well, if you keep being asked to speak up, you, you're asked to play a game you're not comfortable with in a way you're not good at. So it's really easy from you, with you from your frame to say, hey, I know I talk a lot in meetings, but just speak up. That's not what they're good at. What they're good at is listening. What they're good at is processing. What they're good at is trying to, to understand everybody's different ideas from everybody's different points of view. And you're making them play your game. You're making them play the speak up game. When all you have to do is passively 
think of yourself as giving this person an ability to speak into your mic. And you don't want to put them on the spot. You want to talk to them and really get a sense of relationship with this person to help them find a way where you can eventually draw the voice out of this person. It's funny because we have such a speak up mentality, but we also value different people that have done things in a different way. Dr. Martin Luther King almost never spoke in small groups and instead listened the entire time, only asking questions to other folks who were really quiet. He was an introvert. He had the benefit of being able to sit in a meeting and listen the entire time when he had the opportunity to hear all the best suggestions, the, the ways which we could get better. He listened to these things and asked questions to those that didn't talk. And then at the end spoke. And this was able to incorporate almost all the best thoughts and suggestions. So lastly, that pattern here is making people adjust to the dominant norms and also asking them to work well outside their strengths area rather than just taking the time to adjust to their strengths and listen to them in a way we so sorely need the last thing i want to talk to you about is that you have to go outside of your comfort zone outside of your normative experience to be able to find that difference. One of the worst things we learn to do ourselves is to value one person more than another or value yourself less than another. We learn this pattern and we have to rethink these things differently because there's a value judgment or a value placement put on different people. So I want you to envision this idea in your mind. So there's a coal and a diamond, right? So you think you've got your lump of coal, right? You've got your rock of coal and you've got your, in your mind, your picture of your diamond. So what does your coal look like, right? Your coal's like a black rock. It looks like a rock. Uh, it's somewhat flaky. It rubs off on other things, right? Dirty, uh, right? So what does your diamond look like? Take a second, think about your diamond. What does that diamond look like? Is it cut like a diamond? Is it in your traditional diamond shape? Is it uh, shiny? Does it uh, have many different facets to it? So what are the differences between these two things? Well, they're both made of carbon. One is a raw material or one is a valued gem. When the difference really is, there's not a lot of difference. Both are made of carbon, right? One was put under pressure to come out in the way that it did. Then the other was not put under pressure. It, kind of just sat there more in a different space. So we learn to have a greater value for diamonds than we do coal. But what's funny is we're not trained to look for diamonds in the way that they truly exist. We can only spot diamonds as the cut and finished projects that they are. We only see and recognize diamonds when they are presented and the pattern in which we expect to see them. See, real diamonds kind of look like just dirty rocks. You couldn't tell it's a diamond from, from just looking at it. And it doesn't really stand out from the rest of the dirt or the rest of the rock when you see it immediately. It's rough, it's grayish, it's uh, rock-like, it's got rough edges to it. So when you see that real diamond, I think about 
ways we see people who are thought to be lower class. They're thought to be dirty, thought to be rough, thought to be unrefined, right? These are the ideas we put on things that don't present in the way that we expect to see them. But we don't see them for what they really are. Resilient, tough, hard, able to overcome pressure, and tested in times of difficulty with the ability to fundamentally change the way it is. After all, a diamond is just coal that learned to suffer stress incredibly well. See, there's an idea out there and it's called meritocracy. Meritocracy is the holding of power by people selected on the basis of their perceived ability. Rather, the idea here is that they fit a narrative of having earned it, right? So when you see a rich person, they earn their money, they work for their money, they earn their status. But I think we truly fail to see who started when, who started where, and who started with what. We can say people who started with a huge beneficial advantage earned it over people who due to a lack of wealth, due to a lack of mentors, due to a lack of resources, have had to overcome time and time again situations and circumstances which frequently even brought me to my knees. People in a lower socioeconomic class are seen as dirty, refined, and unpolished. When in truth, these people are strong, resilient, and do things and have overcome stuff in ways that you and I can't even truly understand. But again, we look for things we expect to see. We tend to favor certain abilities over others and don't see the benefit of atypical experiences or how, if you don't immediately fit the notion of how someone should perform in a certain way, that there isn't a different or another way around that issue. And see, the truth is, for me and my standpoint, I would take a grinder every day of the week over someone with just talent. See, talented people learn how to turn it on and learn how to turn it off, whereas less talented people, folks who have had to overcome some things, Rough folks, unrefined folks, learn you gotta show up and you gotta show out every single day because the truth is they don't see you and they don't know your story and they don't know you've been through some things and they don't know you are an overcomer. And when it comes to dealing with change or finding some creative answers, it was they who have always done it because that is what it took to survive. My example of this for you is DACA kids. That's deferred action for childhood arrivals. Those are the children that were born to folks who came here and crossed the border uh, without paperwork and brought their children with them, right? So they we're not talking about folks that were born here. They were brought with parents. See, I can't imagine having to pay upward to $500 every two years to prove I should have the ability to live in the place I've always existed. I can't imagine having to save 
for legal fees just to get to pay that $500 just to have the ability to work. I can't imagine most likely working a minimum wage job to come up with that $500 to come up with those legal fees to justify my existence. I can't imagine having to pay taxes on benefits that I may never receive just for the opportunity to live in the place that you've lived your entire life and just to survive just for a social security number or for those more entrepreneurial spirits, those with an employer identification number. I am telling you, be on the lookout in the future for these people. These folks are going to end up being the most, some of the most successful people we will have ever seen. This is an unbelievable natural resource, which exists in America. But because they are lower class, they are resilient and they are strong in ways that frankly, I never want to be tested. You see, these folks are different. And too often, this idea of diversity, this idea of different, many have learned over time, that means not me. We have learned diversity to mean threat, to mean outsider. But I have also not met anyone when they are allowed to be their true selves isn't also different a little bit. We have just learned to hide it. We have just learned to chip away little pieces of ourselves. See, we're all that whole rock. We're all that rough diamond. It's the world that asks us to chip pieces of that way. It's the world that makes us do these things different. It's this world that takes bits of our humanity away. And I'm not gonna lie, I fall into these patterns too. So when we were in grad school, my partner and I were both working, but my partner was working as a course assistant, which means she had to grade tons of classes for two different courses, as well as all of her homework, as well as be my copy editor because she had worked in the writing lab and uh, was really, really good at editing papers which means she had to be my in-house tutor too. So in addition to doing all of our paperwork, a full-time job and a full-time load as a master's student, she's also grading these classes as well. So seeing this and seeing the pressure my partner was under, I would make dinner for her every night because I had the capacity to do so. Now after dinner though, I would just sit there and not get up and do the dishes until I learned about this idea when I was in grad school, and this idea was called second shift. So second shift is the pressure that women feel to perform housework at the home in the way that men don't feel. When I learned about what second shift was, I also learned in the same space and time that I made my partner do the dishes while breaking my arm, patting myself on the back for being a good partner for cooking dinner. Right now, if the goal is to really appreciate my partner, to truly love her, I'd got up and do the dishes too. But see, that pattern made it so I couldn't see it. I couldn't see the pressure I was putting on her. I couldn't see how I was asking her to be that cut diamond to perform in the way she was expected to be. I was missing the difference that I couldn't see. And I was asking her to cut pieces of herself away. Now what's gonna happen if I do that to my partner too long is eventually I'm gonna lose an amazing partner 
because I don't truly love all parts and aspects of who she are. We're all just rocks that are learning to try to play being like diamonds, but in fact, we need to be all parts of who we all truly are. Because this is my friends, it is that difference that we need so badly. Because the world seems to be changing faster and more quickly than ever. And it will be those who learn how to embrace that difference that will make the largest difference. Because it is that difference which will prove to make all the difference over time. And we need to see and understand and know and experience our work relationships a little bit differently than we currently do. Because we fall into a pattern of expectation. Now we spend roughly 35% of our time in work. 35% of our time we spend at work. And in that work relationship and with those work experiences, we ask people to do and present and be in a very specific way. We don't think about our relationships. We don't manage our relationships and we don't like see how they should move us to be and work in a different way. We must not be afraid to be and bring our whole and best selves to work. We gotta be willing to give away a sense of belonging and giving belonging is a form of love. Now, I know a lot of people are worried I'm gonna lose them here. I'm gonna lose you here, but listen to me. When you like someone, you put your best foot forward while trying to impress them, while trying to look like a diamond. When you love someone, you are unapologetically yourself while you're around them. Now, Every person that we see, that we work with, that we have the opportunity to be with, they're a child of God. They're someone that has some different ideas. They have unbelievable capacity within them, but we miss that stuff. We don't see that stuff because we're just supposed to sort of like the people we work with, not truly care for and value them as the unique human being they are. We don't embrace the difference we overvalue the similarities. And that's where we gotta change, and that's where we gotta evolve. See, because it's that difference, which is the difference. We gotta recognize the fact that the world is changing, that there's gonna be different ways to do things every day, over and over again, all the time. And see, it's that difference, which is the difference. We gotta embrace that difference. We gotta see the opportunity of doing things differently. Because I can tell you this, if I wasn't a bit different, I wouldn't be in front of you today because I'm not supposed to be here. I wouldn't be here without the Mortensen employees teacher asking my friends about who might be best suited to be here. See, that was different. She knew she had to do something different for the opportunity of a relationship that can move forward in a different way. And if the teacher didn't have a different relationship with that child, the employee here at Mortensen wouldn't have known to ask. And if the teacher wasn't aware of where they were most comfortable and what they were suited for and what they might need extra help for, they never would have gone to the division chair. They never would have asked my friend. I never would have been here because I'm not supposed to be here. I teach leadership at a community college. I'm not the expected norm. I'm not the way I'm supposed to present. We gotta try to find a way to empower those differences. Just like the teacher was different, 
just like my relationships with my work colleagues was different. Our relationships need to be different. And in order to have that difference, we gotta learn how to lead. Leadership is where you need to be when it comes to diversity. Now, management and leadership are two different things, and we gotta consider these things in different ways. See, management tells and leadership sells people on who they can be and how they do it. Management tells you about the details where leadership sets direction and allows people to learn how to get there. Management will minimize risks, whereas leadership takes risks. Management instructs exactly how things should be done, where leadership empowers people to be their best selves and move towards a new opportunity. Management has objectives that you're supposed to meet, whereas leadership sets vision for where you could be. Leadership meets expectations, whereas leadership eyes new growth. Management eyes the bottom line, and leadership eyes the horizons that we can't quite see yet. Management loves the status quo, whereas leadership challenges the day-to-day norm. Management only sees problems, whereas leadership understands conflict as an opportunity. Management follows the map you've always been following every day, whereas leadership creates new roads to new opportunities. Management approves or disapproves, whereas leadership motivates people to do their best work, bringing all parts of themselves to what they're going to do. Management maintains rules, whereas leadership breaks limitations and overcomes boundaries. Management assigns duties, whereas leadership fosters ideas. Management only uses logic, where leadership votes with true heart. Management uses control and leadership inspires trust. Management does things right. Leadership does the right thing. When it comes to the diversity and inclusion, we gotta move from where we are to where we could be. We can't manage diversity. Managing diversity leaves cut diamonds that all look the same, that don't do anything different and don't have any dynamicism within them. Leadership sees the diamonds in the rough. Leadership sees how we could be our best selves if we were allowed to bring all of who we truly are to work. We gotta see things differently and we gotta know that our best opportunity is with our whole selves because it's that difference that is gonna be the difference. So with that, here you go, as promised, the answers to the lateral thinking puzzles that I had mentioned earlier. So the first answer to the lateral thinking puzzle is that the the supposed to answer, the correct answer, right? So the idea is you grab one string, well you move the ladder towards the middle of the room, you grab one string, you walk over, and you climb up the ladder, and you hold it, and you kind of put it on the ladder. Now the next thing you do is you go over to the other string, you grab the pliers, and you tie the pliers to the rope. Then you start swinging that rope back and forth. Uh, Then you climb up the ladder, hold the other string, wait for the pliers to swing back to you, and you grab them, and then you tie them back together. Now, that is the supposed to answer. That is the book answer of that lateral thinking puzzle. The most creative answer is that I heard someone say they were going to take their pants off, they were going to tie one edge of their pants to the string, 
then walk over holding the other edge of the pants to the other string and then tie that string to the pants because it says that the that you just need the, the strings need to be tied together not that you have to tie the strings together right they just need to be tied together so very interesting answer to a wholly different idea there with the lateral thinking puzzle that came from a millennial by the way way to not need to use the tools millennial and lastly i really do hope you've enjoyed this keynote speech uh, i know you didn't get to be there for it but the fact that i get to talk to you all and have these conversations with y'all made a big big difference for me in my ability to get this keynote and then also to deliver on that keynote well so thank you for listening to this atypical podcast from the inclusive activism podcast and remember if you have a question if you have a comment if you want to Use us as an accountability buddy for your self-care or an accountability for your activism. You can do that by calling or texting the hotline at 860-576-9393. Again, that number one more time is 860-576-9393. You have a question for me or if you'd like me to ask a question to Dr. Puff, uh, maybe I can get a hold of him and ask him what he thinks about things. That's a possibility too. But this is a place for you to talk back, ask questions, hit me with different scenarios, share your life as an inclusive activism with an inclusive activist with me slash us. And I will give you my first take response, or maybe we can get Michelle to talk about those things as well. A great opportunity for you to be plugged in and part of our community. Also, please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, uh, on Google Play, Make sure you subscribe, share the podcast in all the different ways that you have the opportunity to do so. And if you want to email me and give me feedback, that is possible as well, as well at inclusiveactivism at cox.net. That's I-N-C-L-U-S-I-V-E-A-C-T-I-V-I-S-M at cox.net. And if you want to learn more about me or this organization, you can do so at www.inclusiveactivism.com. I really hope you've enjoyed the keynote and I hope you got something out of the opportunity from hearing about that our differences are going to be the thing that makes the difference overall. Thank you all and have a great week.